Hey, Rob Brown here. This is the Success in Accounting podcast. As part of the Accounting Influencers Podcast Network, the show goes out every Monday to over 30,000 accountants, CPAs, bookkeepers, fintech professionals all over the world. And we are departing from our usual kind of shows that we do here on the Monday Success in Accounting show to bring you some relevant news as we edge towards 2023. We come to the end of 2022. We're emerging from the pandemic. And I've chosen a selection of high-quality guests to just review 2022 and the whole pandemic thing for the accounting profession and the fintechs, the governing bodies, the software companies, the vendors, the professional institutes, associations, networks, alliances that serve the accounting profession. What have been the challenges, the opportunities? What have we learned? And then these same people are looking ahead to 2023 as a preview to the year, identifying some of the challenges and the opportunities and what might be coming up for the accounting profession. So enjoy these for the next few weeks. We'll go December and into January to tee you up for the whole year and give you the very best insights on what is happening wherever you are in the world. And uh, we hope you'll enjoy them. Then we'll be picking up on our series of women in accounting panels looking at diversity, DEI, and getting the views and insights from some of the most senior women leaders in the accounting and fintech world from all over, and talking about their journeys and their leadership lessons. Enjoy the show, and let's get started. Accounting Influencers Broadcast Network presents Success in Accounting. Sponsored by IRIS. This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast Network, five shows going out every day. I'm Rob Brown, your host, and I'm filled to have with me today as we discuss 2022 and the recent pandemic for the accounting profession, and then look ahead to 2023. It's Mark Coziel, head of Alineal Global. Hello, Mark. Hello, Rob. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Lovely to have you with us. For those listeners, watchers that haven't come across you and Alineal, tell us a little bit about your world. Yeah, so I am president and CEO of Alineal Global. We are 250 firms globally, about 4.6, 4.7 billion in total revenues. We'll see how our firms uh, report by year end uh, to get us into the next season. But yeah, it's a, it's a firm association, independent firms. They're doing great. A lot of commerce happening between our member firms, and it's just great to see continue to grow. Well, it's interesting you say things are going great. You wouldn't even know that there's a pandemic or an economic crisis or anything else going on. We'll dip into that for sure. Uh, but I love interviewing you because you've got a really good perspective over the whole profession. You're talking to managing partners and firm-wide leaders all the time. So let's kick off and ask you, how would you sum up the year for the accounting profession? Any surprises, any key findings, outcomes for you? No real surprises. I think the if I were to just focus in on the U.S. for a moment, uh, although I don't think it's going to stay there for long, huh. is private equity and the whole move in private equity. We now, Lineal Global has the greatest number of private equity-backed firms uh, with assets in the UK, Eisner Amper and Cherry Becker here in the US. And, you know, that trend's going to continue. There's been a few blips with that, but uh, overall, you're going to see that. I do think that that is going to have global impact eventually, that you're going to start to see these firms start to expand beyond their borders into other markets as well. Uh, so the growth on that has been pretty extreme. There's certainly a lot of echo in that in UK. You mentioned assets, uh, the Zinedine brand. There's a lot of consolidated firms now. Obviously, the market's smaller here in the UK. Uh, we had recently on our show uh, somebody from Aronson who we've met with Aprio, and we interviewed Matt Snow recently, chair of Forvis. 
that was the GHD BKD merger. And it seems like there's no firms too big now to merge. Is that what you're seeing? Never was. I mean, yeah. this is not a new uh, trend. Uh, this happened back probably about 10 years or so ago. Uh, I mean, Dixon Hughes, Matt Snow, it was Dixon Hughes and there was Goodman and Co. in Virginia. Those were two large firms that came together. And this was just the next iteration for them. Uh, for Again, for us, you had Eisner and then you had Amper-Politziner. They came together back a number of years ago. Cohn-Resnick, there were just, there's so many of these and they, that is going to continue. And I'm, I think you're starting to see in the largest of firms, different strategies on how they're going to get to that next big number. And the, the billion dollar number is the magic number mm -hmm. that I think we're seeing. That is behind the Forvis deal. Uh, that is every firm trying to get there, whether they do a private equity, they sell off portions to free up cash, all kinds of different things. So there's big consolidation, especially in the larger firms. But that doesn't mean that the smallest of firms are going to be eliminated either. I think that what we're seeing is a shrinking in the middle. Doesn't mean that they'll 100% go away, but you know the smallest of small firms continue to be successful and the largest of large firms continue to grow and, and be even bigger. And so that's kind of where you see in some of the disparity, but it'll still be a diverse profession. And just on the, the M&A, the private equity money, Mark, you're talking to leaders all the time. How is that changing what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis? How is that affecting the firms? It, the firms that have it, you know, what's interesting, I think, and I've done a recent podcast only on private equity, uh, and we've talked about the advantages and disadvantages. I think one of the advantages really is now in the in the private equity backed firm, in the advisory firm that you have, you create this board. The board is comprised of firm leaders inside the firm, and then also leaders within the private equity group and outside advisors. And I think that's a great takeaway for many firms that if we continue to manage or lead based on our own internal perspective, we may not see what's coming at us from the outside. And so putting a, a board together, I want to be careful because I know in the UK there's uh, there's regulation proposed to say you have to have outside uh, influence inside your boards. But I do think to get outside perspective every now and again is a healthy thing. Yeah. There's a great book I'm reading at the moment by Matthew Syed called Rebel Ideas. And uh, it's about how diversity affects thinking. And he opens up the book with a story about the 9-11 attacks and the CIA and how their collective blindness led them to recruit some of the smartest people in the world. But they were all so alike, white, middle-class, Ivy League universities. There was no diversity in there. So when they saw some guy, Osama bin Laden, in a cave talking about overthrowing the West, nobody took it seriously. So they didn't connect all the dots. So that external perspective of getting Muslims in there and women in there and different ethnic groups and different backgrounds in there, that diversity of thinking blinded them to what was really happening. And I guess that's what you're alluding to with the external perspective there. Diversity of thought, diversity in practice, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Inclusion being the greatest challenge, I think, for firms as we try to reach out to underrepresented minorities uh, throughout the profession, I think is really important. And, you know, the sheer numbers inside are, are incredibly small, so everyone fights over that. But I do think diversity of thought becomes incredibly important. Yeah. What kind of shape do you feel the profession is in now, Mark, as we emerge from the pandemic and the waters are clearing a little bit? Great shape. You know, whether or not there's a recession coming, there's some argument on that. What's interesting is this constant uh strain on the system on the shortage of people i mean we've had that we continue to have that but 
our clients are continuing to have that. And I think that is part of what becomes some of the opportunity, when, especially when we start talking about client accounting services. If we can't find people, our clients can't find people to actually run their accountancy. So why not just hire us to do it? We could do it more effectively based on the technology we have at our fingertips that the client may not have as ease of use to. And so the only, I think, cautionary tale would be, you know, if there is a recession, what does that do? And I, I'm hopeful and I doubt that we'll see any real pullback in the profession of layoffs. You know, this goes back to 2008 when we did have our last big recession. And, you know, I'm talking to our member firms then and I'd say, you know, how's it going? They're like, oh, God, this recession is killing us. <laughs> and I say, well, how bad is it? You know, uh, you know, I'm hearing companies are losing, you know, double digits on their uh, on their revenues. How bad is it for you? And they're like, well, we didn't lose, but we only we only grew five percent instead <laughs> of twelve percent growth we were doing before. I'm like, are you, are you kidding? Like, there are, there are companies that would kill to just be break even right now. We're complaining about a five percent growth as a profession. That's what I love about the profession. I, I do think we are fairly recessionary proof. Uh, we are the last to fall in and the first to come out typically. So, you know, our clients, as they're starting to affect the recession, they're coming to us in an advisory capacity. And then when they are coming out of it, they need to figure out how they're going to grow and where they're going to get funding and all these things that they're going to do. They're back at us uh, talking advisory on the way out too. Mm. We were just talking off air about my daughter, who's at East Carolina University, and you're based in North Carolina where that is. And, uh, she now understands the term grade point average. And I, as a former high school math teacher, I've been doing school reports for many years. If you were to grade the accounting profession, um, where would you rank it? What would you say they're doing? You can <laughs> you give know, me a percentage or, or a comment, good, but could do better or anything like that. It is. It, you know, I think we always could do better. The problem is, you know, we are an element of our own success. And so what has made us successful thus far isn't necessarily what's going to make us successful for the future. And so uh, there's this constant strain, I believe, that many of our professionals are doing way better than they ever thought that they would. But that doesn't mean that they're doing as good as they could be. And that's the and also, you know, watching out for the future, making sure that the profession's uh, geared for the future. That is our current leaders that need to make that happen. Yet they start to think about their own uh, retirement and their own interests as that happens and may not be as interested. I've talked a lot about you know, the partnership model is broken. And I, I, there was a lot of social media commentary at our last global forum. I got up in front of our members and I said, the partnership model is dead. It's not dying. It's dead. And if we are going to uh, survive how we want to be into the future. That is the corporate model. That's back to the conversation we just had about PE, setting up a board, having other influencers on there, uh, but having a true CEO running the firm. And I say time and again, and I said it then is, you know, this title managing partner is just so awful. Uh, first and foremost, because I've yet to meet a partner who could actually be managed. Uh, so that becomes a, a title and futility. But also, you know, the job isn't to manage the other partners. The job is to lead the firm, to lead the organization. And that's where a true CEO needs to be. And there are some firms who have actually hired non-accountancy CEOs to be there as the focal point. Not a bad idea. Uh, to bring that perspective. But if you're not aligning and bringing those other partners along, they're going to have a challenging role as they go forward. So from a governance standpoint, I still think there's some work that we need to do. Sure. I, I get that. But 
that's where the balance of power is, isn't it? With the, the senior partners and the equity holders in the firm. So the managing partner can't, right. it's like trying to hold back a horse. You can't do that easily. And there's no right. power in the lower ranks and that presents problems. Yeah, that's right. Try and tell the, the you know, the senior partners that we're going to knock 20% out of every partner comp. And we're going to put that into a different pool that we're going to decide, or the CEO is going to decide how that gets divvied up, yeah. whether it's performance, everything else. It was always their right to get it based on how they were structured and now to make that switch, especially when we say that they're on the way out, they're going to get paid based on their best three. They're all trying to jam up their best three to, to make it better than what they already have. Good luck with that. Yeah. You're pretty tech savvy, Mark. Uh, you and I last met in person at the International Accounting Forum here in London at the Waldorf Hotel, and there was a lot of tech vendors there. What do you see happening in the software world and that ecosystem supply in the accounting profession? The ecosystem continues to evolve like crazy. And it's funny, I have this slide that I show our member firms constantly, and it's the U.S. ecosystem of, uh, of technology. And there's just so many available. There are many more available in the U.S., there's many more available in the UK and in Australia. It's the rest of the markets that I worry about. And every time I'm talking to a tech provider, I'm asking about multi-language. I'm asking about other country currency because they don't have access the way that uh, the, the the three countries, you know, throwing New Zealand in there too, you know, that they all have. And so a lot of your tech providers are created out of Australia, UK, US, which is why I think that they're they're concentrated in those areas. Yeah. Canada is has some opportunity for some good technology too. Uh, I do think you're going to continue to see that expand. Um, you know, there's a technology out there for everything. We were talking last week, I was at a digital conference and I was talking to a couple of folks and there was a company that has created what they consider to be incredible technology to be able to source gig workers mm. or individuals and be able to do the matchmaking. They've, they've done it in a way that they want to be the source. So they're going to hold their technology, which is different than we've seen in a lot of other technology businesses. Technology businesses just want to set, you know send it out there, number of users, we're in great shape. So I do think a lot of opportunities. Our job, the way I see it for Alineo Global, our job is to pare down that massive list in strategic partnerships so that we can be involved in the conversation. And when a firm of ours is having a challenge with a technology, we can get them in the right place to make it happen. We can set up user groups to, to help with that. And we're not telling them they have to use it, but we're making... Uh, the process easier for our members by creating those strategic partnerships. Sure. And we can't ignore the private equity venture capital money going into tech as well, can we, let alone the firms? That's it. And HG Capital, who uh, is the PE firm backing assets, also owns a number of technologies. They own Star, they own Practice Engine, they own Caseware now, which is yeah. you know a big technology. Caseware is one that we've worked with uh, as a global option for our member firms on the audit side, they do have uh, audit uh, that they can do in multiple uh, jurisdictions, which is great. So, yeah, I mean, you're seeing it more and more. And it's kind of neat to see the private equity space in the technology and in the accountancy kind of uh, coming together in a way. Yeah. Well, we see private equity and associations, networks, alliances. Mark, what's 
what have we learned about your world in the last year or two? Yeah, I, I don't think that uh, you'll see a complete private equity ownership, but you know, the private equity, depending on how they fall in, you know, right now private equity has been for you know Eisner Cherry assets that the private equity is there. They have one firm as their moniker, and that firm goes out and they go out and acquire up other firms. Now, whether or not that private equity firm starts another portfolio with another firm, I don't think you would see that. I think they put the eggs all in one basket on that, so it makes it easier for us because we can we can uh, manage with that firm. Uh, and that, let that firm be a member. Could there be a private equity portfolio of multiple firms that could almost act as a network and, and fall into an alliance? Maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that that is a tough challenge. I have heard the rumors out there that there are some private equity firms that are looking to do that. Well, I can't find that $100 million firm or that $500 million firm. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to get 10, $10 million firms and I'm going to consolidate them up and I'm going to create my portfolio that way. Yeah. I do think that's a, a, an incredible challenge. Uh, you've just created, you know, 10, 10 bosses inside of it. And, uh, you know, just the dynamic, the culture, all these things are just going to really weigh that down to, to be successful. So I, I think that would be a, a a ways away before we would see anything like that. That sounds fair. So just in short, summing up, not just 2022, Mark, but the last few years, as we come out from the pandemic, what lessons have we learned, do you feel? Uh, how resilient we are. Uh, some firms have learned that uh, listening to their people, it doesn't necessarily matter where or how they do things as long as they get it done. Uh, there's some firms fighting back on that a little bit. But, um, you know, I think the resiliency and I think ultimately the trusted advisor, right? And so in the UK, you all had... Uh, corporate incentives uh, around the pandemic, corporate support, there was, or small business, I shouldn't just say corporate, but small business support. This happened in other markets that, uh, you know, the governmental entities knew the importance of small business. So they're providing incentives to those small businesses. Well, where did the small businesses go to figure out if they needed to do it, didn't need it, how to get it? They went to their trusted advisor. So I think coming out of the pandemic, the, the accountancy firms, the advisory firms have, uh, but the, the light has shown on us even more of being that true trusted advisor. Uh, whether or not we got paid for it appropriately, it'll be another question. That's up to the firm. <laughs> but I also think that, you know, it, and it, living during the pandemic and that during that time I was uh, at AICPA listening to firms and the firm would even say, you know what, even if I don't get paid for it now, I've created a lifelong relationship that they'll never forget. Uh, and we all had to kind of pay that price a little bit just to make sure that businesses survived being completely shut down. And I think that that really was a positive light on, on the profession. So you're pretty bullish about what's coming up. I'll talk to you in a moment about the opportunities for accounting firms. But let's start with the challenges as we look ahead to 2023. We are in crazy times, talks of recession. Uh, it's biting here in the UK, certainly in the economy and rising fuel bills. The war in Ukraine is not going away. There's a lot happening on a global perspective. What do you feel are the main challenges for individual accountants and firms, Mark, in the coming year? Yeah, I think inflation on top of uh, staff shortage is really put a big strain on profitability for now. Uh, we can't find the people. And so we're desperately trying to keep the people. And we can't keep the people if we don't respond to inflationary impact. And so there's been these big price increases and have the firms 
pass that along to their clients sufficiently to do it when their clients are getting pinched on every which way on different prices. And so, you know, but the firms have been so busy. If they lost a client here and there due to that, not wanting to pay that price increase, I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, so the staffing shortage will continue. Uh, doing more with less is, uh, for for me, what I consider to be a hard trend. We always talk about hard trends, soft trends. Hard trends are those with 98% or more probability of happening, more with less. It is inevitable that we are going to have less professionals in this profession than we did 20, 30 years ago. I mean, it's sheer numbers. You can't, the baby boomer generation, as they retire off, we don't physically have enough millennials and Gen Zs to replace them. So that's trying to find other ways or going to other markets where they do have the population. So India, Philippines, uh, now even Mexico, we're talking about in some outsourcing aspects. So the outsourcing and then the technology increases to be able to mitigate any staffing shortages that we have. Mm -hmm. I read a stat recently that uh, said that there are more accountants dying and leaving the profession, retiring, whatever you call it, than are coming in. The profession has an image problem in that if a graduate looks at a, a degree course, they know they can emerge with a law degree and earn $120,000, $150,000 starting salary, but maybe half that as an accountant. It's a no-brainer not to come into an accounting profession. Well, I, there's a couple of things. We're not the only ones. You know, that no. that that Gen Z millennial issue isn't, uh, you know, unique to accountancy. Yes, we probably have a bad rap on things and we could do better on the starting salary. There's no doubt about that. And I don't know how you continue to have the conversation of promise of what's to come, but I would put up any of our partners in our firms against those lawyers, doctors, engineers on what the average compensation is today at the at the upper end. And so, yeah, we need to do better on, on the entry level, but our partners are doing incredibly well. When you look in the marketplace, you go to you know, Birmingham or uh, uh, you go to uh, small towns in, in, the, in the U.S., you go wherever it is, the accountants are the ones that are now uh, the leaders in their, in their environment. And I think that that will continue. And no shortage of possibility to get to that partner level and to do very well. Well, somebody very wise told me about 10 minutes ago that the partnership model is dead. So I don't know what's going to happen with the partners and the comp and everything else, but yeah, you're right. They're doing well. Yeah. They're going to be owners. Right. And so even in the ownership model, and that's the thing that was the, the trick of private equity was that this promise of if come to the younger generation was becoming a losing venture. So to say that, uh, it, the example I gave. So you start at sixty thousand. You're going to double that in five years, and then you're going to double that in another five years, and then we're going to give you the privilege of becoming a partner by saying you owe us three hundred thousand dollars to come in, and then you get to work for thirty years to get that money back, and then a little bit more that we're going to pay out over ten years. That's not the. And so now private equity comes in and says, you know what? We're going to wipe away. We're going to wipe clean your deferred comp that's gone. Uh, we are going to reset the partners on a true salary basis plus stock, and the stock growth is how you're going to get paid. And every five to seven years, when we flip this thing, you're going to get the reward again. And so the constant reward every five to seven years in a cycle very different than how it would be in the old partner model. I think that is uh, what can be more attractive to that young professional eventually 
I don't know when this happens or if it does, but when we get into a private equity space like that, you're providing, uh, you could do ownership opportunities. You could give stock to younger professionals differently in that environment because it's easy enough to pull it back and pull it back into the system. You don't have to worry about signing some partnership agreement to do it. It is, here's a share. You know what? You had a good year. Here's a share. And just to give them that those little tidbits to do it. I think that is a great opportunity as we go forward. Yeah. So you're talking about opportunities that are coming out as left, right, and center. Where will the good accounting firms find the best opportunities in 2023? From a from a business standpoint, the uh, the product, if you will, uh, I will say client accounting and advisory services. I always have that top of my list. I say to firms, your client accounting services, top 100 firms in the U.S., uh, average revenue is 10% of the total firm. And so measure that against what it is that you're doing. Uh, and I'm saying that's average. I would be happier at 15 to 20%. So cash, definitely, but we got to revamp how we do it. Mm. Uh, ESG, no doubt. And we have an ESG community that we're supporting. We are seeing opportunities. Even our firms who don't do ESG are seeing opportunities. Their clients are coming to them because their clients are getting it from the supply chain. And then the regulatory that's coming in. You have regulatory in the UK. You have regulatory... Uh, all over the world now, differently, right? So a Asia Pacific region, our human rights, anti-slavery related initiatives that they're doing there. Europe is climate, carbon. US is a little bit climate, carbon. Canada's climate, carbon. Latin America, you get a little bit of that, but you also get uh, some of the governance issues around that. So tons of opportunities around ESG. And then the traditional services, you know, I've always said it's hard to, this whole thing about splitting audit I'm not a big fan. You know, if we have to do an alternative practice structure, that's one thing. But the audit is what provides trust to the marketplace. And without that trust, all the other advisory services that we do, if we're doing them on our own, we're just another consulting company. We're not that trusted advisor like we were if we had all that together. Yeah, that makes sense. So ultimately, what's going to separate the good accounting firms from the great ones? I think proper governance. There are two things. And this is it, this doesn't change. It doesn't uh, move differently in 23, but there will be the greater pressure, I think, for firms to figure it out. Uh, governance and technology. Those are the two things that we have to get absolutely right. And the governance being the corporate model, as I had mentioned, being able to retire partners off, getting past that transition, uh, getting away from one partner, one vote to really letting a CEO lead the firm and solely focus on that. And then the technology, making sure we're keeping up with the technology. If not, if we're going to continue to say we can only grow if we find people to get it done, we are not going to grow the way we need to grow. That technology investment is can be big, but we also got to figure out a way to get paid for it. And I don't know that hours times rate is going to be the continual model to make that happen. And so all of those pieces, I think, are intertwined, but incredibly important on where we need to go for the future. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that accounting is pretty much recession-proof, but there will be some casualties. Won't I mean, what will happen to those complacent firms that can't change or won't change in the coming years? Yep, they'll merge up. Right. I mean, I think that's... And I, I don't want to say that like merging is a bad thing or failure, because I don't think it is. Uh, and if it is, you know what, Rob, if you, wanna, if you have your firm and you want to just kind of ride it out until you're ready... 
you don't want to really make the, the changes that are necessary, but you know you only got a couple years out. That's one thing. But don't lie to your people. Don't lie to your clients that, you know, you're going to be able to make that happen. Be truthful to yourself and to your people, I think, and what that looks like. And uh, it's hard to keep people, obviously, having that conversation. But you know what? If you're not having that conversation or some semblance of that conversation, they're creating their own story behind it and they can make that look like whatever they want it to look like. And so, you know, I do think that it's important to have that discussion. So merging probably, but not a bad thing. And it's a, it's a good time. There's a lot of firms who are looking for that. You can provide your people and your clients a, an element for the future. I was, I was on a, uh, uh, all day, uh, CPE session yesterday. And one of the groups was talking about succession and one of the panelists said that, uh, oh, sure, you know, this, this other firm, they're going to they're gonna buy your clients. They're going to treat your clients just as well as you did because they're very interested. That's why they bought the firm. And then there was a, a counterpoint on another panelist said, they don't care about your clients. They just want your people. And they're going to just siphon off all your clients. And then as long as they have the people, because they need that people for their capacity. And then, so there's a little bit of both of that that's happening. Uh, but there are opportunities to, to be able to get out. Maybe the prices change. A little bit over time or how they structure the deal but um you know you could you could ride it out and there'll be someone to buy you i wouldn't wait too long uh because we we've seen some firms get passed over too and finally mark accounting as a profession doesn't stand in isolation there are governing bodies professional institutes there are associations networks alliances there's a lineal global there's a whole vendor community out there supporting them serving them what do you feel it's going to be uh, as a priority for them in 2023. You know, it's funny. I've uh, had a lot of conversations with those who serve the profession, yeah. right? And uh, it's been, I've been fortunate. I, I it really, you know, I, I count my blessings every day that not only have we figured out the right model in how we interact with the marketplace around what our member firms do, because we find it to be that important. That marketplace is now starting to come to us. And so... I don't have to keep researching who the, the the next greatest, latest technology person is. They're coming to us saying, hey, you know, we understand you're doing this. Like we understand you're vetting with your with your uh, firms. Can we talk? And to me, that's that's huge. Uh, that's what we should be doing. That's part of our value add to our member firms is being able to do that. And we're going to continue to do that. We have the right people in place. Our CTO is absolutely phenomenal. He's been around the profession for a long time. He knows a lot of these players too. So, you know, as an organization, we have our tentacles out there in all these different places to make it easier on our member firms. And I think for the vendors, they understand now, or hopefully they're starting to understand that this is an important channel, the association, the network environment to be able to get the firms easier in what it is that they do. You know, I've learned that a, a long time ago with all my days at the at the AICPA, how important that was. I still interact with, uh, you know, a lot of the C-suite in these technology groups, which is uh, fortunate. And so understanding the right channel uh, when they figure that out and being able to leverage those channels appropriately, I think it be, becomes really important. But these firms, you know, they're doing well. They'll negotiate hard on pricing, but, you know, at the end of the day, uh, still a ton of opportunity in what we do. Yeah, this is brilliant, Mark. Uh, you sound very excited about the future. You're very passionate about what you do. I, I see the light in your eyes. 
good time to be an accountant going into next year and, and surrounding helping them? I, you know, I, I go back to my Buffalo roots, Rob, and I, Marv <laughs> Levy used to tell the team, where else would you rather be than right here, right now? Amen. And it is absolutely true. Yeah, we have struggles in finding people. We're all busy. We get all that. But, you know, we're doing good by our clients. We're doing good for our clients. We're making money along the way, too. Um you know, it, it's it's a great profession. It's one that I, if I had to do it all over again, I'd be sitting right here with you. Where else would I rather be? Absolutely. Well, it's been fantastic. Mark Cozil, as always, thank you so much for your time, your passion, and your insights. Thanks, Rob. Improve your practice while decreasing how hard you work to make your firm really fly. Sponsored by Iris. 